always like to look at my little book of Christmas joys. Lots of good advice in here. I want to get the right numbers here. There's about 400 of them in here. I'm not going to read all 400 today, so we'll just look at a few. Ah, when you think you have enough lights on your tree, add two more strands. <laughs> That's number 48. Uh, number 49, throw restraint to the wind. Christmas is a one time of year when bigger is better and gaudy is good. Some specialize in that. You can just drive around and see that. Number 74. Don't give anyone a fruitcake. <laughs> Number 75. I need Enzo up here for this one. Don't give a child underwear. We <laughs> always like to threaten them with that. Uh, number 76, don't give your spouse a bathroom scale. Don't make that mistake. Okay. <laughs> 182, compliment at least three people every day in December. This is a gift that is always appreciated. That's kind of good to do, isn't it? Yeah. Number 84, 184. Uh, take some time out to sit in the mall and watch youngsters having their pictures made with Santa. Yeah, do you always do that? That's just good to go watch. That, that's interesting. Lots of fun. And then the very last one in this book, number 432, don't forget whose birthday we're celebrating. Isn't that good? What a fitting way to end a book of little Christmas joys. How do we do that? How do we keep perspective? How do we have the right spirit for Christmas? The Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, is such a rich chapter. It's the Last Supper for the setting. And here Jesus is going to teach so much. He's going to demonstrate so much uh, to the disciples and, and to us. We're only going to pull out just a handful of treasures that are so many in this rich chapter. But let's begin with the first verse, our reading there. John chapter 13. Stand with me as we read God's word. Here John tells us, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this, this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel, wherewith he was girded. Uh, now jump to verse 14, include couple earlier verses. Uh, 
there Jesus it goes on. He says, If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a, what a holy moment. There at the Last Supper. What a moment of humility as our Lord stooped down and washed the disciples' feet. What a lesson. Words can't describe it. The action says everything. And Lord, touch our hearts with such service. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When we look at this action of Jesus, we, 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 we find some attitudes that we can take hold of that really prepare our hearts for Christmas. And certainly there is the attitude and the action of humility that we see here. And we see that in, in, in verse 12 where Jesus tells them, uh, so after he'd washed their feet, he had, had taken his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I've done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Uh, what an example. Can, can we imagine that? Jesus washing our feet? I can't, I can't even imagine that. Wow, what an experience. And the disciples must have been shocked when Jesus rose and, and took, laid aside his garment, took that towel and a basin of water and began to wash their feet. In fact, we can see the shock in Peter in verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? I mean, even Jewish servants didn't do that for their master. It was a menial task. And yet Jesus takes up this task and he does it. Washes their feet. Humility. And Jesus, when he looked at his disciples, well, he, he knew they struggled with pride. And that had to be overcome. And the answer was going to be humility in serving one another. John here, but turn back to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, Luke gives an interesting account from his experience of the Last Supper. Luke 22, verse 19, uh, Luke tells us, And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, break it, gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Uh, so what a, what a moment. 
And then Jesus tells him in verse 21, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. In verse 23, they begin to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. So here they've had a moment, the new covenant, breaking of bread, the giving of the cup. Uh, Jesus shares one's going to betray them. And then look at verse 24 in such a moment. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be counted the greatest. Imagine that. Grown men arm wrestling each other, which is the greatest. At such a moment. Jesus began to teach them there in Luke's gospel. So he knew they struggled with pride. And pride can just sneak in. We all do. So the washing of feet by Jesus really rebuked that spirit of pride and selfishness. And it was such a profound picture of humility uh, that it deeply impacted Peter. In fact, I think years later when Peter wrote his letter in 1 Peter, uh, he was still touched by it. You look at 1 Peter. Turn your Bibles ahead towards the end. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. First Peter, chapter 5, verse 5. And here Peter says, Likewise, ye younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Peter learned that lesson. And how about Paul? Looking at Philippians chapter 2. In Paul's experience with Christ, humility also stood out. In Philippians 2, Paul says, If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, and ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. You see, to encounter Jesus is to be confronted with humility. That's who he is. That's who we're to be. And the spirit of Christmas 
begins in a heart of humility. Proud people do not recognize or really understand Christmas. They do not. Andrew Murray, uh, the writer of Waiting on God, he said, Humility is the only soil in which the graces root. Augustine, when asked what is the first thing in religion, he said the first thing and the second thing and the third thing is humility. So important. And the Christmas story is really found in humble hearts. Zacharias and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist, a humble couple. Mary, the mother of our Lord. I mean, her humility just stands out in the account. And then the shepherds, servants of humility. Unnamed people who just served. In fact, it's really the humble people in a church that, that make the church function like it should. We depend so much on them. They make all the difference. It, it's interesting that the birds that provide the best music, the sweetest songs, it's not the eagles, not the hawks, not the mighty falcons. It's the little birds, the larks, the finches, the robins. They're the ones that make the difference. And, and it's many unnamed people serving Christ in humility that really make the difference for all of us. Humility is a mark of the Christmas spirit. So that prepares our heart. Going back to John 13, we also see the attitude or the action of holiness. Is it important to be clean? Now this is a rhetorical question. I don't want anybody raising their hand. How many of you have recently taken a bath or a shower? Now don't answer that. <laughs> Just think about that. Hopefully, I think everyone probably has done that probably recently. In fact, the windstorm reminded some of us how difficult it is to live without hot water. Uh, we, we depend on that. But something's wrong if we stay dirty. Now, I've shared this before, but in history, people lived pretty dirty lives. I, I mean, hygiene was kind of a low on the list. And I've shared with you in American history, in the time of Andrew Jackson, the age of Jackson, that Americans then, one in ten Americans took a bath once a year. The rest were worse. Now think about that. Not a time I'd want to live in. Now what's interesting here is we look at John 13. To look at the word wash. Uh, th uh, this comes from uh, Warren Wiersbe. I appreciate his insight. But in verses uh, 5, we see that word wash. He began to wash the disciples' feet. Uh, verse 6, 
Peter says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Uh, see in verse 8, Peter says, she'll never wash my feet. And Jesus used the same word again. Verse 12, uh, so after he'd washed their feet, uh, verse 14, by your Lord and Master have washed your feet. Uh, the point is, the same word is used in, in those verses all, all the way through. Uh, nip, nipto, which means to wash a part of the body. A part. But in verse 10, where Peter, you know, after Peter asked Jesus to wash all of them. In verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every wet, and ye are clean, but not all. Now the word washed there in verse 10 is a different word. Luo, which means to bathe all over. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter. He that is washed, who is bathed all over, you don't need that again. Just your feet. The other word. So the distinction is important. He's teaching them about the importance of a holy walk. See, when we believe in Jesus, when we make our confession of faith, when we say, Lord, I am sinful, and I need you to forgive me, and I'm asking you to come into my life, here's my heart, forgive me, be my Lord and Master. When we make that confession of faith, we are washed completely all over. That's a salvation experience. And we're forgiven. But as we walk as disciples in this world, our feet are going to get dirty. We're going to pick up some defilement. We're going to sin. That'll happen. Now we don't need to be bathed, saved all over again. We are saved once and God holds us in his hand forever. But we do need to get rid of the defilement of the world. That sin that we pick up on a daily basis. And that's the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That should be a daily experience. Lord, you know, I, I kind of messed up here. Forgive me and cleanse me. And that makes us right and brings that fellowship back. We're always his child, but the sin will break the fellowship. Confession brings it back. James, a half-brother of Jesus, wrote that pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So if we have unconfessed sin, we hinder our walk with the Lord. We just need to become 
clean. Uh, so every day we confess our sin and we get right. Beautiful illustration comes from the Old Testament, the priesthood. When a priest was consecrated, he was washed all over. It was a one-time act, never repeated, as he was set aside to serve as a priest. He was consecrated in such a way. But during his daily ministry as a priest, one of the things he had to do, they had there in the, the tabernacle and later in the temple, was what was called the laver of cleansing that held water. And he was instructed that before he stepped into the holy place, he was to wash his hands and his feet. See, even a priest became defiled in daily stuff. But in the laver of cleansing, he washed his hands, washed his feet, a symbol of cleansing. Then he would step into the Holy of Holies. There he could take care of the candlelight, take care of the table of showbread, light the incense for an offering to God. But if he didn't wash his hands and his feet in that laver of cleansing, if he failed to do that and stepped in the holy place, he was struck dead. Very important. Washed all over once. Every time he stepped into the holy place, cleansed his hands and his feet. Now, if you go to a car wash, a lot of times they have about three different levels of cleaning treatments. Each one with a different price tag. You know, they got the economy, kind of just knocks off the dirt. Then they got the works, and some places have what they call the gorilla. I mean, it just does everything. And, and you pay the higher price for that. Well, that's what Peter wanted when he asked Jesus to wash them all over. But if you notice in verse 10, Jesus saved to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Verse 11, For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are, ye, ye are not all clean. You see, there's a different relationship to Jesus between Peter and Judas. Peter was washed all over. He belonged to Jesus. He was a true believer. He was saved, even though he's going to trip up. Judas wasn't. He's going to have his feet washed but it's not going to do him any good because he's not washed all over. He's not clean. He does not belong to Jesus. He is not saved. He's lost. And Jesus knew that. 
So Christmas is a time. Make sure you're washed all over, that you're saved. That you know Jesus. And if you are, well, get right. Confess whatever's hindering and what should not be there. He'll forgive you. Cleanse you. Christmas is a call to holiness. A holy child. White lights, purity. Uh, Christmas just resonates with it. So important. Then we see the attitude of happiness. Where is happiness found? McDonald's Happy Meal? Not maybe for a bit. Where do we find it? It's perspective. Always like the story of once found in the Reader's Digest by Michael Crane. Tells the time him and his wife uh, vacationed in Hawaii. They wanted to go see the Arizona Memorial. Said they got lost and, and finally they drove up to uh, one of the bases uh, with a Marine guard there. And, and, and the Marine instructed them, gave them instructions how they could get to the Arizona Memorial. And, and as Michael Crane was, was leaving, uh, he thanked the guard and said, have a nice day. And, and that Marine stopped him and, and he said, sir, he says, I am 20 years old. I am single. I am stationed in Hawaii. Every day is a nice day. <laughs> you see, that is a young man, a young Marine, who knew his position. He had perspective. Happiness depends on that. Seeing our position. Our perspective. And every day with Jesus is a nice day when we're in him. And that's what Jesus says about happiness. Look at verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Notice the sequence. Humility Holiness, then happiness. You're not going to get to happiness until we get the humility and the holiness. Then it takes place. And Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Judas knew them. He was right there. He saw it. He experienced it. He heard it. But he didn't do it. And in a short time, he's going to go out and hang himself. A miserable man. Literally reads, if you keep on doing. Not just occasional, but just keep on doing these things. Keep on being humble. Keep on being holy. Keep on serving. 
that'll be a blessing. Another Christmas joy, listed in the little book of Christmas joys. It says, before going to bed every night of the Christmas season, ask yourself, whose life did I make brighter today? Hopefully there's someone out there we did that for, that we made brighter. This is a time for us to be humble servants of Christ, holy servants of Christ, joyful servants of Christ, blessing others. I'm going to bring our team back up. We're going to sing, open mine eyes, that I may see. And we need that. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts. We need to see what you see. We need your heart. And let us stand. It's one need to come today, Lord. I need you to wash me all over. I need to give my life to you. I haven't done that. But I want to do it today. You come as we say.